be at Midway. Karen and I, I've always enjoyed uh, coming over here. I hope that everyone received uh, one of the uh, uh, sheets, the handout, little uh, booklet. Does anyone need one? Uh, we have a brother here at the back that's passing those out. Does anyone need one? Thank you so much. You did a great job, and I appreciate it. Uh, I wanted to say one thing about Brother Ed. Uh, Eddie Boyle said that about uh, Heritage. Uh, I, I enjoyed being at Heritage for 12 years. I love the brethren there, and uh, I uh, may still do some part-time teaching for them. But uh, Amherst University is located in Montgomery, Alabama. It's also a Christian school. Uh, it was started years ago by Rex Turner Sr., and I don't know how many of you remember Brother Rex Turner Sr., but uh, at first it was called Alabama Christian School of Religion. But uh, we have about 500 students, and uh, we have students training in a lot of different fields. I'm in, I work in the Bible department, and I work in the family therapy department with people who are getting their doctorates in either... Uh, Bible or marriage and family therapy. You might want to know why, uh, why I would make the change after so long. Uh, we're having some health issues in our family, and uh, the, it's not a lot of uh, travel time. I was only on the road six hours a week, only about 350 miles a week. But that uh, six hours is very, very important, and by teaching at Amherst, I can teach all those classes online without going to Montgomery at all. So I'm not upset at anyone in the world, but especially no one at Heritage. I support them and encourage them and uh, appreciate the wonderful experience that we had there. I appreciate the opportunity to get to talk to you, uh, the elders asked me to speak on these particular topics. And uh, the lesson in the Bible class, I'm going to really have to speed up because it is a condensed version of a seven-lesson series on 12 Steps for Overcoming Sin. And I've convinced, condensed it down to a 35-minute presentation, and so I'm going to be speeding through. I think originally it had 144 slides, and so... Uh, if you'll bear with me, I, 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 we'll, we'll do our very best to get through this. You might say, well, why uh, 12 steps for overcoming sin? I mean, there are five steps of, in the plan of salvation. Uh, a lot of recovery programs for people who have addictions and other issues in their lives are called 12-step programs. And as I was looking at this 12-step uh, program, on alcohol addiction and drug addiction and uh, pornography addiction and different, different addictions, I got to thinking, you know, we need to steps for overcoming sin because a lot of people struggle with sin in their life. And so uh, today I want us to briefly go through the 12 steps for overcoming sin. First of all, if we're going to overcome sin, we have to admit that we are powerless over sin ourselves. A lot of people think that they can just uh, take care of it on their own without any help whatsoever, and they can just straighten up. You know, sometimes people say, well, I'm not a bad person. No, no, we're not saying 
somebody's a bad person. If you remember, Cornelius was not a bad person. He just, uh, he just lacked something. He lacked obeying the gospel. But he wasn't a bad person at all. But he still needed the gospel. And so it takes more than just deciding that I want to do better. What happens to that sin that seems to be so good when we, when we started it and now it, it's causing problems? Maybe we started a problem. Most addictions and problems that do not come from trauma start when we're around between 12 and 15. Now, when we're between age 12 and 15 and we start doing something, it might just seem kind of innocent, just kind of experimenting, but if we're not careful, it can uh, hang on with us the rest of our lives. I, for example, I, I was used to our church custodian. Uh, his name was Clarence, and we called him Curly. And uh, Curly was 74, and he was having a really bad emphysema and a lot of problems. He was on oxygen all the time. And uh, they told him, said, uh, Curly, you're going to have to stop smoking. And uh, Curly told me, he said, you know, I started smoking when I was 10 years old. And I can't just stop when I'm 74. And so, you know, a lot of things that we start when we're very young Hang on. And so often our identities are tied up in our problems. and We may become our own worst enemies. For example, if, if we have worn the label, okay, I'm a depressed person, then that label becomes our identity. Uh, I, I, a year ago I found out I'm a diabetic. And from now on, every time I go to the doctor, the first thing they want to know, so... Pull off your shoes, let's look at your feet, pull off your socks, we need to look at your feet because you're a diabetic. So from now on, I wear that label, I'm a diabetic. And we're trying to control that with diet, medicine, uh, but uh, our identities. You know, you start listing all your problems and that becomes your identity. And some are in denial, a refusal to admit the guilt, uh, the truth about our reality. And for example, I, I he often hear people say about a lot of different things, I can quit this whenever I want to quit. But the truth is, can we really lay it down, whatever it is, when we really need to stop? So let's, let's turn in our Bibles to Matthew chapter 9 and verses 9 through 13. Matthew 9, 9 through 13. In Matthew chapter 9 and verse 9, we read, as Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax office. And he said to him, follow me. So he arose and followed him. Now as it happened, as Jesus sat at the table in the house, that behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and sat down with him and his disciples. This is a good thing. We can get uh, sinners and others with Jesus, they're going to learn from him. But look what happens in verse 11. When the Pharisees saw it, they said to his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? When Jesus heard that, he said to them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. Then I did, come to, uh, I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And so here, I, I want to point out this, this idea. You know, healthy people, in, in essence he's saying, healthy people do not need a doctor. Sick people do. 
But we will not take step one until we realize we have a problem. And if somebody else tells us that we have a problem, it may hurt our feelings. Uh, the only person that can really tell me I have a problem is, is my wife. Uh, and, and when she tells me, sometimes it still hurts Thank you. We believe that only the Lord can restore us. As long as we think we can do this on our own, then we're in trouble. And so we have to not only admit that we're powerless over ourselves, but we also have to realize that only the Lord can truly restore us. Now, that doesn't take away individual responsibility. We still have a responsibility. But the ultimate source of our healing is the Lord. We begin by realizing that we are in a process of becoming. We never completely arrive. I had a good friend. He was 97 when he was struck by an automobile and, and killed. He'd been preaching the gospel 72 years, and he told me, he said, every time I read the Bible, I learn something I didn't know. I'm always learning. I'm always becoming. Uh, don't ever think that we have arrived. If we are struggling with an addiction or a problem in our lives that we need to overcome, even sin, never think that we have arrived to the point that there's nothing left to do. There's always something to do that to, to help us grow closer to God. I mean, how many of us could truthfully say we pray enough? We read the Bible enough? Almost every day somebody tells me, you know, I, I just don't do that enough. If you did that 40 hours a week, would that be enough? No. We always realize that we're in the process of becoming. The closer to God we become, the easier it becomes to live for Him each day. You see, we're focusing in step two on our spiritual growth. We're trying to grow closer and closer to God. Now, I, this, I, I typically do not use the easy-to-read version. But this particular passage in Matthew 7, 7 and 8, just makes so much sense in this easy-to-read version. Uh, continue to ask, and God will give to you. Continue to search, and you will find. Continue to knock, and the door will open for you. Yes, whoever continues to ask will receive. Whoever continues to look will find. Whoever continues to knock will have the door open for them. Did you notice six times the word continues or the odd concept of continuing there is impressed upon us? It's a process. We are in the process of becoming more like Christ now, I don't know of anyone who could truthfully say, I have completely arrived. I am completely like Jesus. There are no temptations in my life that I can't handle. Continuing on in Matthew chapter 7, verses 9 through 11. Do any of you have a son? If he asks for a bread, would you give him a rock? Or if he asks for a fish, would you give him a snake? Of course not. 
You people are bad, but you still know how to give good things to your children. So surely your heavenly Father will give good things to those who ask him. Don't. Just keep on asking. Don't just ask once. Do you remember when Jesus wanted that uh, thorn in the flesh removed from him? Uh, Paul wanted that thorn in the flesh. And when Jesus wanted this cup to pass from him, he said it repeatedly. Three times he asked, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. Remember, the door is open to everyone. And the Heavenly Father gives good gifts to those who ask him. But what if we do not ask him? And so step number one, we realize that we are powerless over sin. We have to have help. We believe, number two, that only the Lord can help us. And number three is the very most important step in a person's life. And that is we turned our lives over to God's care. Now for those who study God's word and know the Bible, we realize that this is the, this is the obedience of the gospel. We can't truly turn our lives over to the Lord unless we obey the gospel. And so if you're looking for hear, believe, repent, confess, and be baptized, it's in step number three. There's where we turn our lives over to the Lord. And perhaps today we have someone who has not yet done that. I hope and pray that this very day before you leave this building that you will obey the gospel. This is the most important step that you could possibly take. And how do we do that? How do we do that? Well, we begin step four by learning more about God and his relationship with us. Uh, Do any of you remember uh, the commercials for Oldsmobile with Priscilla Presley driving on the beach? This is years ago. And she'd drive down this beach in this little red convertible, uh, red uh, Oldsmobile, and the window would be down. I never figured why she would be driving on the beach and the water splashing up, but hey. Anyway, it zoomed in on her at the end, and she'd say, this is not your father's Oldsmobile. What was the point? I mean, the name of it is Oldsmobile. They were trying to project these young people driving Oldsmobile. That's kind of like uh, the reason Nova, Chevrolet uh, had the Nova. Uh, the reason it didn't sell in Mexico is Nova in Spanish is it won't run. I mean, and they, they couldn't sell Novas in, uh, in, in Mexico because it won't run. And so, uh, you know, well, the reason I bring up, I'm not trying to sell Oldsmobiles or Novas, The reason I bring this up is that our faith cannot be just inherited faith. Our faith needs to be something that is a relationship with us and God. And so we must seek him in prayer, even if we feel like we don't know how to pray. I often hear people say, will you pray with me? Because I don't know how to pray. Look, if we're Christians, the Father is going to hear us. Let's just remember to pray in Christ's name. We will read the Bible. We will compare our words and our actions by those of Jesus Christ. We will listen to those who are spiritually more spiritually mature than we are. Remember this. In Mark chapter 10, verse 27, Jesus looked at them, his disciples, and said, With men it is impossible, but not with God. 
For with God all things are possible. You may be struggling with some problem in your life, some addiction, some sin, some action that you need to stop. And you're thinking, it's impossible. I can't stop this. Remember, we've turned our lives over to God. And when we turned our lives over to God, we gave Him control. And when we gave Him control, He can do all things. Now, here comes step number four for sure. We made a fearless moral inventory. You say, shouldn't we have done that when, before we were baptized? Certainly we did. We found out that we were in sin. But this is more extensive. I want you to write these things down. Maybe not now, but I, I, I want you in the privacy of your own home, somewhere where no one else can see it, I want you to write down your sins. I want you to write down your struggles. Right now, I'm going to be honest with you, I'm struggling with seven things in my life. Seven things I'm struggling with on a daily basis. I know that because I list them. I list them in my mind as I'm driving to the gas station. I list them. And so we need to understand that we may need to make a fearless moral inventory of what's going on. The idea of taking a moral inventory is very biblical. But remember what uh, Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 28. But let a man examine himself. And this was a reference uh, to the Lord's Supper. We examine ourselves every time we partake of the Lord's Supper. But we also have to examine ourselves every day. Uh, I get up in the morning and thinking, well, uh, what am I going to do today that I can serve the Lord? And, and how can I fix the things I messed up yesterday. And then that evening before I go to bed, I think, have I wounded any soul today, as the song goes? Have I hurt someone? Have I made a mess I need to clean up? Do I need to confess something in my life? Remember in 2 Corinthians 13, the very first part of verse 5, examine yourselves as to whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. We're not speaking about self-knowledge. It's an honest appraisal of ourselves in an effort to draw closer to God. It is not something that we're continually putting ourselves down about. But it's continually trying to grow closer to God. Let's consider uh, uh, let, me, let me go back. Make, make a list of your sins. Keep it in a very uh, personal, private place. No one else can see this. It's very, very Personal, make a list of people against whom you hold a grudge or who resent you. Think of things that are holding you back inside, that cause you pain, that cause you embarrassment, that cause you humiliation, that cause you to be negative. And, and note the milestones along the way in your life. You know, if there's someone who's really, really hurt you, how do you know that you've forgiven that individual? When you're able to smile at that individual and speak to them and, and feel good about it and not to whisper under your breath, I hate that individual, or even think it in your mind. You've made a major milestone in your life in overcoming sin in your life when you can do that. But one of the most important things along this uh, on step four is be careful about judging others in this step. It's kind of like if you're on a diet. Let's say you've lost uh, 20 pounds. 
you're proud of yourself. You, your clothes are fitting better. You're able to wear things you haven't worn in ages. And, you know, you're feeling... And, and you, have you started noticing fat people? You know, you, you go to the restaurant and you think, Psh, they're pigging out. Here I am having a salad and cottage cheese and they're over there having a steak and french fries. How dare them? Well, it's the same way spiritually. When we start trying to grow closer to God, it's very, very easy to start noticing those around us, especially those who have wronged us. Let's look at Matthew 7, 1 through 5. Matthew 7, 1 through 5. Judge not that you be not judged. For with what judgment you judge, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. Why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but do not consider the plank in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me remove the speck from your eye, and look, a plank is in your own eye? Hypocrite! First remove the plank from your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Let's wait until we are completely like Jesus before we start judging others. And even then, let's always compare ourselves to Jesus and not to the weakest individual that we meet. It's very easy to go around life comparing ourselves to others. Step number five. Once we've made that uh, moral inventory, let's admit the exact nature of our sins. We begin this step by... Confessing the sins on our inventory. Remember, we've turned our lives over to the Lord. We have obeyed the gospel. We are on a speaking term with the Lord. When I was teaching at Heritage, I'd start out every class on a Tuesday morning and Thursday morning. I went up there on Tuesdays and Thursdays. And I'd say, which student in the room is on speaking terms with the Lord this morning? And finally one of them would say, I am. I said, well then great, you, you lead us in prayer. I hope we're all on speaking terms with the Lord, but we need to confess our sins, admit our sins to God. We need to admit our sins to ourselves. We need to confess those sins to another human being. Confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. James 5 and verse 16. <coughs> In, in fact, put God ahead of yourself. <clears throat> you don't want to just be a little God. I think that's what's happening in our culture today. We are so self-centered that we're making ourselves little gods. There's only one God and Father above all. He is our Heavenly Father. And in step five, we confess our sins to Him. Let's, let's notice something. In 1 John 1 verses 8 and 10. And I know I'm going all over the New Testament here and even some in the Old Testament. But let's look at 1 John chapter 1, verses 8 through 10. These are important verses, especially for step number 5. 1 John chapter 1, verses 8 through 10. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all 
unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. Let's go back to verse 9. How much unrighteousness? All of it. All of it. One time a, a soldier told, told us when we were studying the Bible with him. He told my wife, I've, I've sinned too much. God cannot forgive me. I have sinned too much. You know what we're doing if we say that? We're doubting the power of the blood of Jesus. We're doubting the power of the blood of Jesus. Um, God is willing to forgive us. And if we have been baptized for the remission or the forgiveness of our sins, and we confess those sins, we are as pure as we were when we came up from the waters of baptism. Let's move to step six. In step six, we wanted God to remove our defects. I don't know about you, but I'm always aware of my own defects. Um, personal struggles. Things I wish I could improve in my spiritual life. Defects. Now, the goals of both steps six and seven... The goal of step six is for the one who is already a Christian to grow close, closer to God. And the goal of step seven that we're going to see in just a moment, ask God to remove our faults. If those Christians who have stopped submitting to Jesus uh, to return to him. And so first of all, let's talk about step number six. We want to grow closer to God. One of the reasons I love Bible camp whether it's Indian Creek Youth Camp or Maywood Christian Camp or some other Bible camp, one of the reasons I love it is that there's a place where people grow closer to God. The baptistry at Indian Creek Youth Camp is probably the busiest baptistry in Walker County. Because did you know that 85% of us will make a commitment to the Lord and be baptized before we're age 15? 85% of Christians made a commitment to the Lord and were baptized by age 15. If there's ever a time that we need to instill spiritual growth in young people, it's when they're below age 15 and between age 15 and 28. The number one group we're losing in the church are 15 to 28-year-olds. 15 to 28-year-olds. When, when they graduate from the youth program, what do we have for them? From the time they graduate high school to the time they are young adults, the average male who gets married for the first time now is 29 and a half. The average female is 27 and a half. If they choose to get married. So what are we going to do for someone when they've graduated high school but there's nothing... Do we have anything for them until they're 29 and a half, 30 years old? That's the group that we're losing. By the way, the second group we're losing is 5th grade to 8th grade. 5th grade to 8th grade. And you know, at that point, the parents have, and this is a different sermon, and I'm getting off the subject, but at that point, the parents have to say, no, you're going. You're going to worship. Because they're at that point in their lives where we think, well, they're old enough to make their own decision. Let's, let's look at a uh, passage in Matthew 18, verses 8 and 9. 
We must not allow anyone or anything to keep us from Christ and continue our defects. Matthew 18 and verse 8 and 9. In Matthew 18 verses 8 and 9. He said to them, Moses, because the hardness of your hearts permitted you to divorce your wives, but from the beginning it was not so. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality. Oh, that's Matthew 19, I'm sorry. Matthew 18, 8 and 9. If your hand or foot causes you to sin, cut it off and cast it from you. It is better for you to enter into life lame or maimed rather than having two hands or two feet to be cast into everlasting fire. And if your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out and cast it from you. It is better for you to enter into life with one eye rather than having two eyes to be cast into hell fire. I was talking to someone who works in the emergency room, and, and she said about three times in her 30-year career, somebody's came in with an ice pick in their eye because of this passage. Jesus is not literally saying, pluck your eyes out. He is literally saying, don't let anything or anyone keep you from going to heaven? Are there people that when you're around them, you always gossip? You always curse? You always say something bad? You have bad thoughts and bad feelings? Avoid that person. Stay away from that person. Uh, only Christ can remove our defects. Now, let's move on to step number seven, because it's very similar, and this is we've asked God to remove our faults. We have defects. Those are things that often we are born with or have been with us for 40 years or longer if we're, if we're older. But faults are things that we just have a bad habit of doing. Now, step seven, asking God to remove our faults, begins with humility. We approach God with a broken heart. If anyone desires to be first, he shall be last and servant of all, Mark 9 and verse 35. We ask God to remove our shortcomings. People lapse into sin. Paul did. In Romans chapter 7 and verse 19, he said, For the good that I will to do, I do not. But the evil I will not to do, that I practice. Paraphrasing Paul, I know better, but I go ahead and do it anyway. Being good is not enough. Humble yourself as a little child. In Matthew 18, 1 through 5, at that time, disciples came to Jesus saying, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? By the way, he had just told them for the first time he's going to be crucified. And what do they do? They start arguing about who's going to be the greatest. They're looking for the packing order. Who's going to take his place? Who's going to step up and be the leader? Jesus called a little child to him and set him in the midst of him, them and said, Assuredly, I say to you, unless you are converted, become as little children, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever humbles himself as this little child is greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Whoever receives one little child like this, in my name receives me. We have to humble ourselves to ask God to remove our faults. If we don't humble ourselves. We'll never even admit we have faults, much less ask God to remove our faults. Number eight. 
We made amends when possible. Now, in step number nine, we make amends. But you know what? This is a very difficult step. First of all, we have to forgive those who harmed us, even if they do not ask for forgiveness. Secondly, we have to stop playing the blame game. In uh, 40 years of marriage counseling, I've heard the blame game for 40 years. It's her fault. It's his fault. No, it's both your faults. We can't just go around life blaming someone else. Forgive all others to set yourself free from bitterness, resentment, and revenge. And now warning, an inflated ego, false pride, dishonesty, and self-centeredness moves us away from Christ and prevents us from growing spiritually. We must not cause someone to stumble spiritually. Matthew chapter 18, verses 5 and 6. Matthew 18, 5 and 6. Whoever receives one little child like this in my name receives me. For whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were drowned in the midst of the sea. The consequences are dreadful if we cause someone else to stumble. And so we need to make amends whenever it is possible. We could be, our attitude, our sin, our past, could be preventing someone from having a relationship with the Lord. Step number nine, we stopped hurting people. And step nine, we, we, made, we make amends if we've harmed someone. What if, we've, uh, what if we've had an affair with that person, with somebody? <laughs> the reason I, I put this in the slide, I, I, I remember, I, I, I wasn't there, but I remember hearing about this. A preacher was telling me about this. He said he offered the invitation at the end of the uh, sermon, and he said this, this woman responded and said, she, she said, I need to confess an affair. And he said, uh, okay, uh, okay, let's just pray about it. He, she said, no, no, it's with that man right there. And that man lost his family, lost his wife. I mean, she was ready to make amends, but he was not ready to make amends. He wasn't to that point in his life. Now, do not harm your own family to make amends for your past. I'll give you my paychecks for three years. Well, what's my family going to live off of? Now, what if we harmed someone who is now dead? at least be willing to acknowledge that we were willing. There, there's a thing called gestalt therapy where you talk to an empty chair or you talk to a tombstone uh, and you get it off your chest, so to speak, spill the beans, tell them what is hurting you, and sometimes that helps. I remember one lady uh, talked to an empty chair and uh, she wept and wept and wept. But she got that off her mind and it was for someone she had hurt who already had, had died now by the way if we lack humility we will not be able to complete step 9 our egos have to go as long as they're there and by the way let God let the peace of God rule in your lives in Colossians chapter 3 uh, verses 12 through 17 
we read uh, about this. Colossians chapter 3, verses 12 through 17. Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another, forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. But above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection, and let the peace of God Rule in your hearts, to which also you are called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing in one another, in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus. Well, the reason I went ahead and gave you a, a handout is I knew I wouldn't get through this. But uh, you do have the rest of the lesson. We confessed our wrongs. Uh, remember, he knows our secrets. We prayed. And then a very, very important step, number 12, step number 12, we told others. Evangelism. Thank you so much for your kind attention. I appreciate it very, very much. Uh, let me tell you about one book uh, as we close. If, if you're having a problem with any type of addiction or sin in your life, uh, this Bible, it's just a, a Bible, but it has notes in it, is called The Journey to Recovery Through Christ, a 12-step study Bible. Uh, it's the best thing I've ever come across for helping people with addictions uh, or trying to overcome a sin problem in their lives. It's a Bible. Uh, it's not, not just a regular book. I'm going to leave it up here uh, in this area if you want to look at it, get the information. Uh, i tell you what, I, I might ought to leave it in the back because I'm sure this is about to be moved. Thank you for your kind attention.